Amen. Uh, we have a series that we're doing here. Um, in case you're new, it's called Life and Light of the Gospel. Life and Light of the Gospel. It's a, a journey through uh, Galatians. Um, we have been in it for quite some time now. Last week we took a brief deviation uh, and looked at the theme of the resurrection and looking at the cross in light of the resurrection. But this week we're back in the book of Galatians. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn there. We'll be in the fourth chapter. What I'm going to do is just sort of give us a little re- recap or refresher so that as we see today, uh, we can appreciate how today's pericope, uh, today's portion of Scripture um, fits in the context of the whole. Um, if you're new, we really, really dig the Bible here. Um, we like the Bible. It's like this. We're, we're real elaborate here with this book. Um, and we think this will set us apart in a world that's decaying. That's why Jesus said, sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. Um, so one of the ways God distinguishes us from just regular old churchgoers is we're the churchgoers that actually know his Bible. And so we're praying that you'll, you'll like that idea and that you'll want to see that uh, in your own lives. Uh, chapter 3 to about chapter 4, verse 31, is a huge section that's all saying basically the same point. Paul has written a letter to some churches that he planted and the churches bought into the gospel, which is a message that sinners who don't deserve any attention or audience with God can be accepted strictly by their throwing themselves in total dependence on him. We call that to be accepted by God or justified by God to be made right before God by faith alone. Well, they began to listen to people who gave them ideas on how maybe they could sort of go from just whatever they thought they had by just believing to another level that would give them even more acceptance. It sort of would give them a little more security that they really were authentically saved, 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 like shown up saved, if you would only just in addition to that belief. Like, that belief is cool. That's what everybody who saved has, but then there are those of us that don't just believe, but we also, you fill in the blanks, and you could really be saved. Well, he says, see, now you're messing up what is really the gospel. So he wrote this letter. Starting with chapter 3, he calls them foolish. He says, you foolish Galatians, like, are you on drugs would be the way we say it today. He says, who has bewitched you? Who cast a spell on you? He says, yo, now, first of all, verses three, chapter three, verse one to five, he appealed to their recollection of the grace originally given them. He says, wait a minute. You all know that when I came, the first thing that grabbed you was I talked about a crucified Lord because the only work that's necessary for sinners to become saved is the work of paying for the sins. But none of us can do that. So I talked about the one who did it, Jesus Christ. I put him on display for you as not just a teacher who rocks you with his wisdom, but a savior who rocks you with his sacrificial death on your behalf. 
He says, not only that, he says, you know that the spirit then. Now, if you're saved, saved, like as saved as you can be saved, you get the third person of the Godhead to come live inside you. And he begins to work wonders in your midst. He says, didn't that happen to you? Yeah, before somebody tried to make you think there's another level, there's something else you can add to it, wasn't the spirit clearly manifest in your midst? He says, now, did God do that because he was impressed with y'all? Like, man, they believe, but did you see the way they shout? Man, give them an extra dose of Holy Ghost. No. He says, nah, that's not why God does, gives you the spirit and works uh, miracles in your midst. He says, it was just because you believed. He says, wait, um, well, does a person start with the spirit? Like, does the spirit just give you a push? And then you be like, I got it from here. And then you just keep going the rest of the way. He says, nah, that's three, one to five and uh, three, six to 14. He says, but now let's look at the scriptures as far back as Abraham, the God that most all the people who are trying to make you add to your salvation were known as what like we call the Judaizers or Jewish saints. Some of them may not have been actual saints, but even Jewish saints who thought there was something special about being uh, related to Jesus Christ um, through the line of Abraham. And so one of the things that Jesus, I mean, Paul says here is, wait, Abraham, come to think of it, he got saved the same way y'all did, just believing. He says, see, so like he appeals to their understanding of the scriptures and says, it's not about your works. It's not about what you add to it. It's just belief. Uh, verse three to uh, chapter three, verse 15 to 18. He appeals to their knowledge of the covenants. He says, wait, now, you know how covenants work, because if you're a Christian, you were a Christian because the Jewish faith or the Hebrew faith gave birth to the Christian faith. So most Christians are up on Hebrew scriptures. That's how what we call the Old Testament is the Hebrew scriptures. Well, if you were to go there, you would learn all this stuff about animal sacrifices. And the, another thing you'd learn about is covenants, the fact that God makes arrangements with people. So he says, now, you know how covenants do. Covenants don't re like renege. Like you don't have, I got another covenant. Let me, let me forget the other one. Forget the other one. I got a better one for you. You can't forget that other one. Covenants are binding. All you can do is transcend them. All you can do is say, all right, like, like this will handle what I told you I was going to do, and this will take it further. He says, well, when the law came, the law came after God said, I'm going to hook you up based on the fact that I'm good. Um, my promises are good. You believe and salvation is yours. Well, then a new thing came on 430 years later called the law. And so people were saying, wait, maybe it's not just about believing like God promised. This new thing is here. you got to do the works of the law. He says, well, that's impossible because covenants can't, like, make one obsolete. They have to just sort of pick up where they left off. So he says, you know how that is. So then verse 19 to 25 of 3, he anticipates people saying, well, dang, well, then what we got the law for? If, you, if it's all about just believing, why all this talk about the law all the time? And he says, well, the law was our prep work to get us ready for what God was going to ultimately do. So remember where we're going. People are abandoning the simplicity and the sufficiency of a savior giving you salvation just on belief, not based on your performance. Y'all with me? Once you start leaving that, Paul is saying, look, I got a multifaceted reason why that's crazy. And that's all the stuff we just talked about. Well, why we got a law then? Dang. 
because it was prep work. So then he says, and then think about it. Uh, 26 to, all the way to 4-7, he appeals to the understanding of inheritances. He says, and plus you know about inheritance, don't you? All you got to do is be rightly related to somebody who has something and then you have it. So I'm a poor kid and all of a sudden, Philip Drummond, back in the days, different strokes, different strokes. I'm Willis, I'm Arnold. And as you know, I get like Philip Drummond comes and adopts me. All of a sudden, I go from rags to riches just by being related to him. I don't look like him. He didn't have me biologically. He just adopted me and I got all the stuff that's his. He says, well, everybody that believes on Jesus Christ immediately becomes sons of Abraham. So all the juicy stuff that Abraham enjoyed immediately become yours. All right. So that's where we are. That puts us where we are today. Verses 8 to 20. Verses 8 to 20. Chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Today we're going to look at moving forward in freedom, the plea of the gospel-centered pastor. The plea of the gospel-centered pastor. Forward in freedom. The difficulty with verses 8 to 20 of chapter 4 in Galatians is we hear Paul use such pastoral language that it's sometimes you don't know whether to focus on Paul as a pastor or his argument. I think today, just because this is a perfect way to show you that we must understand the pastor that's committed to being gospel-centered, that today I want to look at forward in progress or forward by faith. Keep going. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Don't listen to the dudes over here that say, yeah, but have you ever considered? Don't listen to these people say, yeah, I know you, but if only you would. Like, don't listen to them. Keep going forward in freedom. Don't let anybody put on you rules and regulations that didn't come from God. Keep going in freedom. This is the plea of the gospel-centered pastor. We live in a day where pastors are so misunderstood we don't know whether or not they're shepherds of people or they're rulers of men. That's the day we're in. I mean, we're used to shepherds, but they're the people you can't touch. Many of them have bodyguards. Uh, many of them have armor bearers who carry their three-pound Bible for them. Uh, uh, many of them, like, and so we don't know if we're looking at a king or we're looking at what Jesus said, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. We don't know. The, the, so the pastor is, the pastor is misunderstood today. Uh, we don't even understand the mission of the pastor because for us, the pastor must pack the place out. That's the, today we know pastors whose job it is to pack the place. But the question on the floor is, is the, in the Bible, is the mission of the pastor numerical growth or spiritual growth? Today we're confused about which is which. We don't understand the mandate of the pastor. What are you supposed to do again? <laughs> There's a book called The Reformed Pastor uh, by Richard Baxter, old Puritan. And uh, he starts his book off on the Reformed Pastor. Today we're going to look at the Gospel Senate Pastor um, because in the context of Galatians, it's about the gospel. Uh, but look at this. Acts, uh, Acts 20, 28, just listen. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Verse 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you pastors or overseers. 
to a shepherd to pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you uh, and not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. I want you to keep that. Plastered on the heart of the on point gospel senate pastor is this understanding that there is a mandate, a charge. Watch your own life so you can stay on point and watch the flock among you because somebody is always trying to mess up your faith. Somebody will always be out there. And we're going to see that today. So today we're going to go through and I want you to think about the pastor. You're either going to now you're going to make application to any spiritual leader, any spiritual leader. This is not just pastors. If you're discipling someone, you'll notice that these apply to you. If you're a spiritual parent in any way, you're going to notice that these apply to you. If you're none of the above right now, listen as one who's being pastored or who has a spiritual parent. We need to see it from both perspectives today. We're going to look at the, 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 the theme is go forward in freedom. This is the plea of the gospel-centered pastor or the spiritual parent, uh, however, uh, whichever one applies. First of all, the premise that they're governed by. Life in Christ is superior, so leaving Christ is senseless. Life in Christ is superior, leaving Christ is senseless, the, the premise. Let's start with verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God... You were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. But now, I want to stop. First of all, the premise is life in Christ is superior. What he's going to do now is get them to reflect back to life before Christ in order to help them get a refresher on why it's more banging to be in Christ. You got me. So he says, wait a minute. Formerly, when you did not know Christ. Now, the reason why I like that is because we live in a day where nobody likes to fit the category of not knowing God. But every one of us at some point did not know God. You must say that to yourself because people will make you think you just know God because you're familiar with the term God. Everybody, before they pick up a theology book, has an internal sense that there is a God, but they don't know that God. They just figure he's up there because how else did that mountain get there? How else did the sun do what does the sun do what it do? So he's looking and he's saying, there was a time when you did not know God. You didn't have the right information about God, which is why God had to give us information about himself. You did not have a relationship relationship with God. That is all of us at some point. There are people in here right now who do not know God. They don't like to hear that they don't know God. They would challenge you on the idea of not knowing God. I do know God. I know he woke me up this morning. I know he started me on my way. I know a whole bunch of stuff my grandmother said about him. But that's not knowing God. You get bored with God quickly. Outside of religious settings, God doesn't come up. You say grace, but you don't labor in prayer. These are people who don't know God 
All of us have what we call the former days, the B.C. days, the days before Christ meant anything, the days when what Christ felt about the situation plagued you so that even if you were ready to sin, you begin to think about like the vividness of God being in the room with you made it harder for you to just sin freely. That's when you know you know God because sin becomes such an issue that you have to jump over a lot of obstacles in your heart to be able to do it. He says you were uh, at one time you didn't know God. He says, and at that time, like if you if you need a refresher on the former days, sometimes uh, the former days for us feel like the good old days, the good old days. If we're ready to turn back, it's because for some reason the former days don't seem as bad as they did when we were asking God to save us from them. That's all of us in here. Every now and then, going forward looks more frustrating, so you think, I'll just go back to what I'm used to. Now, you used to want out of what you're going back to, but now it seems like what's back there is not so bad. I want to just give you a classic Old Testament illustration of this. I'm going to read a series of passages. You sit back and let the narrative rock you as into this issue of Seeing the past wrong when you get afraid of going forward. Exodus 1, 8 to 11, you, 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 you may not want to try to keep up with me because I'm just going to breeze through this part as an illustration. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many, too mighty. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. If war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy, heavy burdens. So this is the past. Now, we already see from the gate. These people are under taskmasters who are putting on them heavy burdens. 12.14 says, And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work like slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. This is the past. Ruthless treatment and bitter with hard service. 2.11. One day Moses had grown up. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. This is their past. Just a random Moses at this time looked out and he could see their life could be summed up like this. Burdensome. Uh, uh, two, uh, two twenty-three to uh, 25 says, During those many days the king died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Now they're so messed up that they're crying out for help. We don't like it here. We don't like this, this lifestyle. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. So now they have registered their complaint with heaven. Please, we don't like it down here. They're whipping our backs. They're making us make bricks. They're, like, they're treating us like stepchildren. So this is the complaint. 4, 29 to 31. Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken. Uh, Moses did signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. Okay, so now God sends them a hero, somebody to answer their prayer. Get me out of this place. Moses had to do signs to let them know, I could take you out of here, and when I take you out of here, I'm going to blow your mind with the way God's going to do it. And it says they saw the signs and said, oh, we're with you, Moses. Lead us to the promised land. 14, 10 to 2. Let's fast forward. 
When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. May we serve the Egyptians? Like, we didn't want to come out. We were fine in slavery. We were fine burdened. We don't want to leave. Like, I don't know why you even started messing with us in the first place, Moses. And you, Aaron, I can't believe you. 16, 1 to 3. So they set out. They've passed. Now, God got them through that. So they've crossed the Red Sea. Mighty word. Oh, I was just kidding with you, uh, Moses. You know you was the man. I was just testing you. I just had to bring that eye of the tiger out you, right? So now, now they're in the wilderness on the other side. So it says they came to the wilderness of sin, right? It says here, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord of the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots. Remember the meat pots? And we ate bread to the full. For you brought us out here to the wilderness to kill us with hunger. I don't know about y'all, but y'all remember when we used to bake fresh bread in Egypt? Y'all remember when we used to sit down and wine and dine off of fresh meats? Poor I miss the good old days. Numbers 11.5 says, we remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. Uh, 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 y'all remember the fresh melons? Remember the cucumber salad uh, marinated in vinegar? Oh, those were the good old days. The good old days. Paul says, wait a minute. I don't think y'all remember the formerly, the former days right. And for us, sometimes when we think about where we've come from, all of a sudden it seemed like, remember my friends? I used to have a lot more friends when I was back there. You remember the clubs? Like, they weren't that bad. I mean, some stuff, you know, but, like, I, I just remember that beat, that beat. You remember that beat? <laughs> Never mind the affliction, the hangovers, the pain, the emptiness, the God, if you do something with my life, I'll. says two things that you forget. First, you did not know God. He says, formerly, verse 8, we're back in Galatians. He said, formerly, when you did not know God. First of all, you did not know God. Psalm 40, 14, 1 says, the fool is the, says in his heart there's no God. Like, this lack of being, he says, first of all, you were in a foolish state back then. Matthew 7, 24 says that God, right, the Bible says that many will say, Lord, Lord, I I did a whole bunch of stuff for you. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So, So you didn't know God. Let's not get it twisted. He says, but not only that, not only didn't you know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. So you were ignorant of God and you were a slave. Now, the word doulos uh, can mean slave or servant. He says, well, you were both. You were a slave because you couldn't stop doing stuff you wish you could. And you were a servant because you kept doing somebody else's bidding, whether it was the flesh, the world, or the devil. He says, remember, you were enslaved, and you were enslaved to people who are not God at all. Uh, the, the key here is, 
um, for us to recognize that before Jesus, we think we weren't like a lot of times we forget that we were worse off than we that like than we remember. But the reality is that even if you were to abandon Jesus and go back, you wouldn't be going back to freedom. Good. I'm glad that's over. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. But the truth of the matter is, that's what we did. We did even stuff we didn't want to do. Paul in Romans 7 said, dag, the good I don't want to do. Me and my friends, we always debate on was Paul a believer here or was he an unbeliever? I believe he was an unbeliever, even though we as believers have the same story. However, no matter how you slice it, everybody knows what this is like. I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Every one of us can relate to that in here, saved or unsaved. 19, he says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep doing. So you tell yourself, I remember when I first, got, like, the third time I got busted shoplifting. You understand the battle I had. I was, I was like, I shouldn't do this. Oh, I can't do this. And my friends had just ran a shopping cart through a window and grabbed a whole bunch of clothes. So they was out there in their fresh gear like, yo, we going back today. We going back today. I was like, I know I shouldn't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Wait for me, guys. <laughs> He said you were enslaved. But he says you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Now, because in this context we're dealing with Gentiles who were not atheists by and large, they were polytheists. They believed in many gods. Only problem is their gods were not really gods. But they, you couldn't tell them that. So they were loyal. They were sincere. They had all the service. They had all the strength. But these were not real gods. That's just like us. We, too, have been and continue to be, as uh, Brother Shah was saying today, we're loyal to stuff that's not even God. We listen and we, we listen to voices that are not God and we serve it. That's why in Philippians it says that their God is their appetite. In other words, a lot of times our God are the passionate pleas of our internal on us, whether it be a sex drive, whether it be I, I got to have that money or whether it be I got to have that position. None of these things are God. But we serve them loyally. He says, you remember that there was a time when you were enslaved to stuff that was not God. We, too, were slaves to stuff that's not God. We, too, loyally follow things that can't benefit us at all. Like Shah said today, inferior pleasures or inferior things. And that's his whole thing. Life in Christ is superior leaving Christ as senseless because life outside of Christ is not freedom to, glad I ain't got to do that no more. It's you got to do something, but a whole bunch of stuff that leaves you worse off than when you were in Christ. It says, but now, verse 9, now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. He says, but wait. That was back then. I just I just had to remind you all that it wasn't what you thought it was, what you probably thinking. It was as bad as you think it was back then. He says, but now you've come to know God. I like the way J.R. Packer says people who know God do at least four things. They have great energy for God. 
See, remember, he said, remember, like back in the days you didn't want nothing to do with God. All of a sudden, when God actually rocked you, brought you into himself, all of a sudden, nobody had to make you go to church. Nobody had to make you choose Christian friends. Nobody had to make you want to read the Bible. Nobody had to make you go and serve at a Christian camp or feed the homeless. Or Like he says, all of a sudden you had this energy and it was for God. I, I can't pay you. That's all right. It's for God. Have great thoughts of God. Used to be a time when only your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife was on your mind. All of a sudden now, God is on your mind. Rappers start rapping about God. Singers start singing about God. He says, those who know God have great thoughts of God. Now you use loftier adjectives for God. It used to just be, you know what I'm saying, whatever, when you think about God. The man upstairs, you know how, like, that's so weak, the man upstairs. Like, that's so, like, degrading to an exalted God. Now you talk about some, the sovereign and majestic God who's, who was and is and is to come. Like, it, they have great thoughts of God. When you know God, they show great boldness for God. Peter, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I told you, son of a, I don't know the man. The Bible says he's, he, the third time he cursed. After the resurrection, they said, you better stop or we're going to beat you down. Well, whether we obey God or whether we obey you, you decide. But for us, let me give it to you like this. God, <laughs> all right, we're going to let you go now, so you better stop. Like I was saying, <laughs> great boldness for God and have great contentment in God. You can make more money if you leave God off, mm, but I'm content in him. I won't leave him off. But now that you have come to know God, but before you start saying, hey, that, 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 that's, that is me. <laughs> I sort of am all right now. He says, oh, well, better yet, rather you're known by God. So he flips it in the book of Galatians because the idea is people are getting them with their works. So he says, it's not that you don't know God. You do, but you know God. But the better thing is that he knows you. Remember, Matthew seven twenty four, God, didn't I? I never knew you. Anybody ever come to you like, no, it's me. You'd be like, yeah. Like, fourth grade? Like, fourth grade? Who are you? Like, and this happens with, you know, with, with cats that in the, you know, the industry, all of a sudden people are like, oh, man, you remember me? No, nah, they're like, ah, you know, like, he knows me, but I don't, I don't really know him like that. He says it would be tragic for you to be like, God, I knew you, God, Jesus. I mean, I was in church all the time. He says, but I didn't know you. So Paul is saying, like, you know God, but better yet, God knows you. He says, so in light of that. How is it, let's look at it, verse 9, so how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Man, what time did I get up here? What time did I get up? Me? Okay. Y'all know me. He says, how are you turning back then? You know God better. God knows you. How is it that you're turning back to the weak and worthless elementary? Whose slaves you want to be once more? So basically what he's saying is, how is it that you're leaving the superior for the, the senseless? Suppose somebody came to you and said, hey, listen, I'm, I, I want to get into business. 
So I got a great idea. I'm going to hire a bunch of keen businessmen. I'm going to lace you with the finest equipment, and we're going to go to war with all these companies that's making this money. you like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, I just got out of DeVry, too. What's up? They say, well, come to my state-of-the-arts office. So they're like, so then you'll be like, here's your desk. Like they just, it's just a mad cubicles, like 20 cubicles. Everybody has their own metal typewriter. So you like, yo, what's this? Oh, that's your typewriters. I'm just saying, yo, we get ready to kill it in the game. Everybody has a rotary phone. You be like, yo, what's this? You got to make mad calls in this thing if you want to keep up with the day's world. <laughs> I got y'all. Everybody got their own. You ain't got to share, though. You ain't got to share. Everybody got dot matrix printers. So you're like, yeah, just rip those holes right off, yo. Don't worry about it. We got plenty of ink for you. Everybody in here got dial-up internet. Yeah, yeah, dial-up. You know I'm going to take care of you. Got to be on the web. You got to be on the web. Microsoft works. Everybody's computer has Microsoft, not Word, works. WordPad, whatever. Don't worry, in the back is all our microfiche machines. And we, don't worry, there is a desktop on hand with floppy disk drive for easy storage. You would look at them like, in the age that we're in, how is it that we've gone from laptops, flash drives, Mac Air, where you don't need anything, you can fit it in an envelope, DSL, Comcast, because it's so much faster. I mean, all, like, how do we go from that back to the, the, the back-in-the-days equipment? I just feel more comfortable with this. He says, how is it that you've left Jesus Christ to go back to weak and worthless, outdated modes of trying to do business with God. This is for anybody that doesn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're messing with stuff that's a laughing stock. He says to the elementary principles of the word. It's a very complicated, I know Pastor E touched on it, uh, very complicated uh, Greek term, um, stoichia. Uh, of the cosmos, I mean, we're looking at, the word can mean elementary principles. Now, the reason why I spent so much time trying to grapple with it is because it really can mean the elements that compose the, the atmosphere. So it could be like water. I, you know, we say, yo, man, I can't brave, I got to brave the elements. That for us, that's rain, that's water, that's fire. Uh, and that's what they, they, they meant it as primarily. Uh, it also came to mean the elementary things uh, because it meant, it basically was what people came up with to talk about ABCs, the ABCs of something. So in Hebrew 5, it talks about the rudimentary things or the elementary things. You say, man, that's elementary, my dear Watson, that's elementary. That's, that's you know what I'm saying, that's low-key. Low or it could mean spiritual beings that influence cosmic realities. It could just, because sometimes some of your Bibles will have the elementary, elemental spirits. Uh, and that's because they also refer to this word to talk about those that were demonically behind the cosmic elements. They believed that the cosmic elements had spiritual beings, powers and principalities, same concept. The idea that even the, the, the unseen beings back there that move and that influence 
uh, either negatively, but pr- for, for them primarily negatively. So the reason why I str- it's a struggle because we don't know whether or not he's saying, because you already were into worshiping pagans as the Gentiles, right? You two are going back to a life where you're really under the sway of the demons. He says, just like the Jews are going back to under the sway of the elementary basics of how God, uh, how God did business. However, even the demons were there to help encourage them to try to misuse the law as a way of establishing, look, God, I'm all right. So the idea here is that the law is said to be elementary and you always will have something behind the scenes to help you try to use the law the way it was never meant to be used. Then fast forward, the Gentile or the person who says, I don't have the law, says, well, I'll try to do the law like they try to do the law. He says, all you're doing is going back to the same kind of influence that's like your pagan background. Now, for us today, we, not, we don't think that we're messing with demons or anything. But the idea is there is a satanic strategy to help us to have a form of righteousness. That's what the Bible calls legalistic righteousness, where you try to look like you're righteous without having the substance thereof. So when you say, what do you got to do to be saved? What you got to do? And you run out a list and you do that list. Satan will love you to try to do a list to be saved because you can't be saved that way. Satan will never say, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who was publicly crucified. So he says, now I don't understand y'all Galatians. Y'all are going back to, to trying to imitate like the Jews who like the, the Jews who misused the law, which was just a. A preparatory thing that God used. I know this is this may be a little difficult, but uh, but but here's the point. Christ is superior. Leaving him is senseless. You'd be going back to something weak. You'd be going back to something that's fundamental, something that's ABC ish. Verse 10 says, look, they got you observing days, months, seasons and years. That's what they did. The Jews had a Sabbath day that they had to observe. Everybody else would be out there playing golf or doing whatever they're doing. Jews is like, we don't mess around like that. They cooking up a meal. Jews like, ah, nope. They had months like new moons, festivals. They had seasons like Passover and Pentecost. Great things, but when you, I like, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. And they had years, Sabbath years, where every seventh year is called the year of Jubilee. They they observed these things, but look what one uh, commentator said. The failure of a religion, which is dependent on special occasions, is that it most, almost inevitably, almost certainly, divides days into sacred and secular. And the, fur- is, and the further almost inevitable step, and the thing that almost surely comes after, is that when a man has meticulously observed the sacred days, he is liable that he's discharged his duty to God. See, the problem with these days is not keeping a Sabbath. It's when you keep a Sabbath, one, like, like I shouldn't curse, it's Sunday. As though I got to wait till Monday to curse. 
You think it's something special about you not cursing or something worse about cursing on Monday than it is on Sunday. I shouldn't curse. I'm in the house of God. Boy, you almost made me curse in church. But then you go across the street and you curse. I I shouldn't smoke on the church premises. And then you feel like, well, I could smoke on the, but the earth is the Lord. So, like, the whole earth is his premises. So, like, the idea here he's saying is the problem is they had Galatians who were free from all these things, doing these things. And in their heart they were like, because, I mean, Paul had us just believing. But this seems more like it. You know what I mean? Like, you seem like you should be doing something, like having special days and, you know, joining certain festivals. I mean, it seemed like we had something too simple. And that's us. You shouldn't be dressed like that. I mean, you are what? I know you ain't wearing your hair like that. You And you call yourself a crip. Now, it's one thing to just say, nah, come on, be decent in society. It's another thing for you to think, because even God would like it better if you just spruced up a little bit. So our premise, the, 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 the pastor's premise is life in Christ is superior. And therefore, leaving him is senseless. The pastor's pain, dedicated pastoring, doesn't always produce the desired progress. Look at verse 11. I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. The pain of the gospel-centered pastor is that religion will go on and blossom. That's not what rocks the gospel-centered pastor. That music will put out better hits and be played during religious hour. But that's not the gospel-centered pastor's heart. The gospel-centered pastor will be pained because his people, no matter how much they labor, will not continue on and progress in this freedom. You'll feel like, dang, like Jesus felt when he, at the end of his ministry, where he said, Jerusalem, like, I just wanted to grab you up like a hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. Imagine the pain of the Lord Jesus as he's looking at, he came to his own, his own received him not. And he's sitting here and he's saying, like, look at y'all on your way, because they were on their way to Passover. This was during Passover. On your way to keep the festivals, but wouldn't let me, the Messiah, snatch you up under his wing. That's the gospel. I labored with you. I gave you my best illustrations. I brought you over the crib. You took, like, I gave you the bigger crab legs. I invested in you. Other people don't have my number. You have my number. Other people didn't have breakfast with me. You had breakfast with me. Other people didn't hear my long and lofty spill and my defense of why I believe in justification by faith. You did. And you sucked it up and you ran with it for a while. Then somebody came and told you something else. The pastor's pain is, I may have done all of this for nothing. The pastor's plea is, live by grace And love the truth. Live by grace and love the truth. Read with me. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also became as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus even. Listen, um... For the sake of time, look, look, look. 
live by grace, love truth. This is what the gospel-centered pastor, the gospel-centered spiritual parent says to those that they labor among. Listen, he says, first, brothers, become like me. Paul was a Jew. And he said he became like one who wasn't when he got around the Galatians, the Gentiles. He says, look, I'm like, I'm, I know about all this stuff. I kept it from my youth. He says, when I started ministering to you all, I stopped observing these things as a way of trying to give myself spiritual props. He says, now you're switching and becoming like me. The thing I left for you, you're now becoming like what I left. He says, become like me, which is live by grace, not by law. Live by grace, not by law. In the gospel Senate pastor, we talk grace. Again, you're going to see other religions, other cults, other churches even, that will always preach rules as a way to make God like you more. That will distinguish us. You'll notice the difference between pastors who are always telling you the do's and don'ts. Of, of, of Christianity without always taking it back to the cross and the free gift. But not only lo- like live by grace, but he says, love truth. Prioritize truth over trappings. He said, wait a minute, think back. Remember when I first came to you, it was because of a bodily ailment. Now, we don't know what this is. We don't know what was wrong with Paul when he came to them. This may have been the thorn in the flesh we've heard about. Some say that it was his eyes because he's going to say, you would have given me your eyes. Some say that his eyes were messed up. And when people saw him, they were looking like, ew. Uh, some say he was an epileptic. Was he going to say, you didn't spit at me? And culturally, they used to spit because they, it was some, some superstition where if they saw epileptic, they spit. So the demon that was given you epilepsy wouldn't come to you so like the way we got bless you right bless you or used to be where you say chew and people say bless you to keep the the spirit that you just sneezed out from going back in some of y'all didn't know that but um that's where we got bless you from um so anyway um for them they would spit like he ain't gonna get me uh uh, it could have been malaria um something else he could have been just disfigured because he always been getting beat up and his heels you know his wounds would would heal but he would still look raggedy however we don't know what it was we just know it was something so unimpressive that the superficial person would have said ew i don't even want to listen to your message because you just look funny he prioritized, he says, prioritize truth over trappings. He said, back in the days, even when I looked unimpressive, back in the days when I looked like something you want to stay away from, you, you didn't do me wrong. He said, you embraced me like I was an angel of God or Jesus. You know a spiritual congregation because without all the fluff, without all the trappings, they still can detect truth. So he's saying, listen, you're leaving like you were on point. Don't stop being this kind of Galatian. The first, like, don't stop being the Galatian who saw the spirit working among you, just received Jesus as crucified. Don't stop living by grace. Remember, you, you, you didn't used to do like observe days like legalistically. You didn't used to observe months legalistically. Just be like, get like me. I'm free. I ate ham with y'all. You know me. I'm a Jew. What, what am I doing eating ham? Just to show y'all you can be free. Now you tell us, I don't do ham no more. Not because of health reasons, because you think that's more spiritual. It says, become like me. Live by grace, not by law. Prioritize truth over trappings. Don't leave that. Because look what he goes on to say. He says, 
Verse 15. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You used to be attracted to truth, even when it came in a whack package. You didn't, you didn't despise the frail messenger, but you piqued the power of his message. The inconvenience of the, he said, was a trial to you. you y'all were helping me. Y'all were bringing me. Well, we don't know what it was, but just imagine we had to bring you dinner. You told us something. You're the powerful man of God bringing us the truth. We got to bring you dinner because you're so laid up in the bed. We got to, like, whatever. He says, remember, it was a trial, but you liked it because you just like truth. And by way of application today, what do you prefer? Ministries that look more like, I I need that fluffy carpet and the nice chairs and the pastors in their nice suits and the, like, thrones up on the, on the, on the the podium and, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Like, we, like, I mean, look, I mean, look at them. They look like my sons and... Look at them. I mean, I know they bring in the Bible, but it just don't feel right. It feels too beneath the things of God. Like, it, like what do your spiritual heroes look like? Can you detect when a dude is eloquent but off? I'm just saying, Doc, he said that thing. He said that thing, Doc. Trappings, not truth. I went there. I felt something at that church. Was it true? I don't know. I just know that I felt something. Trappings. Paul said truth. (laughs) See, I went and I heard a lot of truth, but I ain't feel the spirit. A lot of people say that. I just need, I just, I just need to go somewhere where I really feel the sense, the spirit moving. But I mean, did we say something untrue? No, no, no. It was, oh, you, you, one thing y'all don't front on is the Bible. I just need the spirit. He said, what happened to the blessing you felt? You were rocked off the right stuff, not just the hype stuff. Our pain is, we'll do all of this. Hammer away on the truth. Spend a lot of time on the Bible. Put the words up so you catch that it's true and you'll still leave. Not because, like, for no other reason than it, it just didn't have the right look. He says, when I came to you, I had a bodily ailment. Something about me was unimpressive. But you received me like Jesus was in the building. says our premise is that life in Christ is superior. Leaving Christ is senseless. Our pain is that we labor for nothing. Our plea is live by grace, love truth. This is what the gospel synod pastor says. We, we're almost through. Our problem, the enemy's desire to have you. This is the problem of the gospel Senate pastor. There's always an enemy, seen and unseen, that wants to have the very people that we want to provide spiritual pastoring to. Look what he says here, uh, verse 16. Uh, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good, no good purpose. They want to shut you out. 
that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. He says, wait, the problem, our problem is that we shepherd in an age where there's somebody who prefer, like they want you, but not for good reason. Because people are into building kingdoms after themselves. He says, they don't want you around us because they want you for them. They, it ain't like they, like they don't have any qualms with us. Their, their, their beef is this. I want your people too. Your squad would look good on my squad. Says they're enemies. Remember Acts 20, 28. People come up and who basically bring you after them. You all are fair game right now. And again, people will, they're not going to lure you with, we don't believe that, like, they, 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 they're going to lure you with the trappings. And make you think all this stuff about truth and gospel and God's grace. And I mean, like, that sounds all right, but you need to come over here where the honorable so-and-so is the so-and-so. And you need to be able to. Our problem is that enemies desire to have you. Lastly, our purpose. <laughs> the gospel Senate pastor's purpose is to labor until Christ's likeness is formed in you. Verse 19. My little children for whom I am again, or my children's discrepancy there. My uh, little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. In closing, the gospel Senate pastor really is like, yo, if, if, if I never, like if I don't become anybody, if I'm not on the circuit, if I can't afford the fly suits, if I don't get a whole bunch of cars, if I don't, like, all I care about is seeing Christ in my people. He says, I go through whatever pains, the pain of childbirth, to be able to, mm, at the end, see Christ in you. Why do you all think? Everything we do is Christ heavy. Every series we've done, Christ heavy. When we went in Proverbs where the name Christ is not, we always point it back to Jesus. Why do you think we sit down and we we limit what we do? It's not a bunch of stuff. We tame the use of DJ if we use DJ. We tame the use of just songs that are just chants of self-motivation. Songs that have nothing to do with him, but they're more about us. Nothing wrong with using them sparingly. But when your goal is to see Christ in someone, you don't give them you. That's why we do it. So your Galatians living light in the gospel forward in faith. Don't turn back from Jesus. Don't turn back from faith alone, grace alone through faith alone. Apply yourselves, sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And remember, if you're in ministry. You know what it's like to feel these things. I'm just going to recap and we're going to close. First of all, our premise is that life in Christ is superior. 
Life in Christ is superior. Leaving Christ is senseless. You'll be going back to the outdated. You'll be going back to the weak and the useless. There's nothing else for you back there. We look at our pain. Our pain is that we may have labored for nothing. Don't, don't, don't be a waste of a lot of good sermons. Don't be a waste of a lot of good sessions. Don't be a waste of a lot of good times out with people who are bringing you truth. Our plea is live in light of the gospel, not law. Don't because I got to do this because I'm trying to make my way into heaven. Don't say that. Say I'm trusting in Jesus Christ because if it was left up to me, I'd go to hell. Our pain. Our problem. Be aware of the enemies that are out there. Our purpose. Forgive us if we're. Sometimes we, we, we're too much. This is childbearing. And we want to see Christ in you. Father.